Good morning. Good morning, church. Welcome to those uh, online, joining us online. Um, great to be uh, in church this morning. You know, we've, it's been pretty amazing, hasn't it? That, that worship and, and, and the words and, and just the encouragement from God. And, and what a place to be, to be, to be in church. And um, as has been said, uh, many of us, uh, 28 of us, uh, went along to Elam Conference uh, this, this, this week. And um, it was just such a, a good conference just to hear what we're about as a church, hear what we're about as Elam, and also uh, not just as Elam, but, you know, integrating and working together with that church, with all the different churches, and, and integrating and working and, and, and being a witness and things we do in the community and all those sorts of things. But uh, one thing that Elam is, is that it is home, and that it is home and that it is family. And so everybody, everybody's welcome here. Everybody's welcome in this house, and and I think of a home, you know, like when you go home, uh, you get a bit more comfortable, don't you, than being at like a guest place. So you go home, you can get in your recliner chair, you can put your footstool up, you can raid the fridge and the in the pantry without feeling um, self-conscious or awkward or anything like that. You know, it's your home, and so I just think this morning, you know, just just relax and relax like that in your spirit and your heart, uh, your home this morning. And, um, you know, God wants to speak to you this morning um, in that place. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. So um, I've got a sermon, I've titled it, uh, A Different Narrative, uh, A Different Narrative. Um, and so before I start on the message, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray um, and uh, it's going to be good. Father, I just thank you for this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you're, you're here, and uh, Lord, as I've just been praying, I don't want this just to be um, a, a church service or another message in and of it, itself, but like, I want you to really move, like God, Holy Spirit, you really need to move upon us and your people, um, we really rely and depend on you, God, I just pray that, that you would open eyes today just to see your truth, to see your word, and I pray that all of us this morning, as we've come in, we would go out changed. We would go out re- revelation. We would go out, Lord God, with a changed mind, with a with a changed heart, from revelation of your truth, from your Holy Spirit speaking to us, and literally, quite literally, changing our lives forever for eternity, so that we can walk out free. We can walk out in your truth. We can walk out standing firm on the rock of Christ, immovable, unshakable in the faith, Lord God, steadfast and firm in your truth. So I pray, Lord God, that you'd speak to us, that you'd change our lives forever. I believe that you can do that, Holy Spirit, for every single person here. I believe that you can change our lives, Lord God, so we go out different and changed and transformed to the glory, honor, and praise of your name. Amen. Amen. Arguably, one of the greatest sporting events in the 20th century is an event called Rumble in the Jungle. Rumble in the Jungle. And the slide's about to come up. Yep, there we go. So there's this boxing fight in the 20th century, and it's called Rumble in the Jungle. And it's arguably, like I said, one of the greatest sporting events in the 20th century. And there was a a heavyweight champion by the name of George Foreman, who was in his prime, who was in his 20s, and, and he'd knocked out champions, he'd knocked out other heavyweight champions in early rounds. He's known as probably one of the biggest hitters of all time in, in boxing. He was a devastating man. He was a, he was a brute of a man. 
and he was versing now an Ali, Muhammad Ali, whose nickname is, is probably many of you know is the greatest. And Ali was now 10 years senior to George Foreman. And many thought that he was out of his prime. Many thought that he'd, he'd, he'd been good. He was great, probably the greatest. But, you know, he'd been there and has done his thing. And he'd been three years out of boxing due to political reasons and a stance that he, he took. He'd been out of boxing for three years. He'd just come back and fought a few fights. And, and so he'd come into this fight called Rumble in the Jungle in a place in Africa next to the Congo River. The temperatures were soaring. The humidity was at 90% or so. So it was energy zapping stuff, let alone fighting in a heavyweight championship boxing match. And so Ali was versing George Foreman but the odds were stacked against Ali. You know, it was like, this is, it's great that he's turned up. It's, it's great that he's come. This is going to be great for viewership. It's going to be great for promotion. It's going to be amazing for the sport. But, you know, Ali, he's past his prime. You know, he's, he's, he's just a foregone conclusion. George Foreman's going to win. And so it came to the fight, and the first round went, and then the second round came. The bell went for the second round. Ali comes to his trainers and goes, you know what, I, I, I know I'm going to beat this guy. I know how I'm going to beat this guy. And the second round starts, and all of a sudden, Ali goes up and leans up against the ropes and stays up against the ropes for the majority of the fight, which is, I'm not a boxer. Nikita is definitely a boxer. She'll be able to critique me on any of this boxing talk, maybe after the sermon. But, but Ali was against the ropes, and that's like the cardinal sin of boxing, isn't it? Like, you've got to stay away from the ropes. Like, you just don't do that. And Ali went against the ropes, and he was literally allowing... Um, I'm spitting everywhere too, but he's literally allowing um, George Foreman to come up and throw everything at Ali. Remember, like one of the biggest hitters of all time, and all Ali was doing was, you know, he was holding up his gloves, um, covering his head, protecting his head, but he was literally allowing this brute of a man, this devastating man to come up and, you know, just to throw everything at him. And Ali's trainers were screaming at him, saying, get away from the ropes, get away from the ropes. The the, the commentators were bewildered in the first round. The the, the crowd was wondering what was going on. There was probably whispers of, yep, this is is a foregone conclusion. We kind of knew this was going to happen. Ali's out of his prime. But as the rounds went on, the commentators and the spectators begin to see what was going on, begin to see perhaps Ali's strategy. And as the rounds were going on, and the, and the opportunities that Ali got, he would, in those grapple holds and those momentary stops of play, or stops of the fight, Ali would be whispering in George, George's ear going, is that all you got, George? Is that all you got? They told me you could box, George. They told me you could box. And I don't know what I was doing there, maybe trying to put on an American accent or something. <laughs> I don't know. You'd be the judge of that. But he was literally psyching him out. And as the fight went on, George Foreman's punches just became, he became more fatigued and, and, and more tired and more tired. And the eighth round came, and Ali saw his opportunity, stepped away from George Foreman, threw a combo of punches, threw a right hand, threw another right hand, and knocked George Foreman down to the canvas and became the heavyweight champion of, of the world again. A boxing fight and a sporting event that's been talked about for generations and will continually, I believe, be talked about for generations, probably, as, as, as has been said, by arguably one of the greatest um, sporting events of the, of the 20th century. But you've got to understand, there's a, there was a different narrative. The odds were against Ali. It was like he was out of his prime. He was, he was, he was, it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to lose. 
but a different narrative played out, a different story eventuated, a comeback story, a victorious story, an overcoming story, a story that would be celebrated for generations, a story that would be celebrated as a victorious comeback and inspire many and many. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is probably one of the most famous Bible verses of all time, probably next to John 3.16. But it says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In other translations, though that word thoughts is used interchangeably with things like plans and intents. I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. I know the plans I have towards you. I know my intents towards you of, of peace and not of evil to give you in a future and a hope. But probably what was less known, I already need a drink of water. My mouth's already dry. It might stop me spitting. Um... But what was probably less known with that verse is the context of, of when that was written, the context of that verse being written. So what had happened was God's chosen people were the nation of Israel, were the nation of Israel. So before, before Christ, when Christ um, came and he lived and he died on the cross and he, and he rose again, through his death and through his resurrection, he invites all to come to him, all to be saved, all to come into relationship uh, with God. But before Christ, God had made a covenant uh, relationship with the people of Israel. They were God's chosen people. And God's covenant relationship would be that he would be their God and that Israel would be his people. And they, if, as long as they worship God, as long as they, as long as they put him first, as, as long as they did that and therefore followed his laws and his decrees and his, his statutes, then God says that I'll bless my people, I'll bless the lineage of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the lineage of the Israelites, I will give you land, I'll protect you, um, I'll be with you. But what happened was the Israelite people, in terms of a people, the majority of people actually turned away from God. They turned to false idols, they turned to other uh, uh, gods, false gods, they turned to other practices and things. And in turning away their heart of worship, subsequently what followed was that they stopped following the laws and decrees of God. Because whatever you worship, whatever you follow, wherever your heart's at will, will come out of your life is what you'll do. And so they lived a life that was far away from God. They lived away from God's laws and decrees. And right throughout the book of Jeremiah, there was prophecies that came through Jeremiah, perhaps through other prophets as well. But throughout that book, it said, look, you're going to go into exile you're going to be exiled, you're going to be taken into a captive by a nation that you don't know, into a land that you don't know, you're going to go into exile. And what was happening throughout this book is that false prophets rose up, and false prophets rose up and said, no, you're not going to go into exile, Just you're going to have peace, you're going to have comfort, things are going to be, things are going to be all good. And the thing about that, it's really serious because before Christ, before the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and it can dwell in us as believers and speak to us and, and, and we can hear from him, before that, the prophets of the day were like the messenger of God, like they had the messenger of God. It was as good as God speaking, like they were like a representative of God to the people, like they had the oracles and the message of God. And so to lie, 
to lie and deceive and come up with their own visions and their own dreams and things like that. It was really serious in the eyes of God. It's like, this is what God's saying. It was literally deceiving and lying to the people. And so this was all going on. And then in that uh, scripture, we put that scripture um, back up there. It would be awesome, Jeremiah 29, 11. In that verse, uh, God's people had been taken into exile. It had happened. They were in Babylon. They're literally uprooted from their homes, from their place of worship in the temple. They were literally taken into this place um, called um, Babylon. And even in Babylon, false prophets arose saying, look, I know, yep, we are in exile. It has happened, but we're not going to be here for long. We're going to return really, really shortly. So in response to that, Jeremiah writes this letter, and it's basically like, guys, I, I need to tell you straight. I need to tell you straight what's going on. Look, look, I, I'm not going to mince words here. Um, you're going to be here for 70 years. There's going to be 70 years of, of desolation, you know, that, that you're going to be here for 70 years, but I will perform my good word, and after 70 years, I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. I'll bring you back to your homeland. I'll bring you back to that. that I'll perform my good word. And then it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, I really believe that as a people, we can apply this to our lives, that, that the Israelite people, they're in a place, and God's like, I, I know the narrative that you see. I, I, I know how you're feeling. I, I know the situation that you're in. I, I, I know the hopelessness and the devastation of, of what's happened. I, I, I know what you see. I know what you're feeling. I know the situation uh, that you're in, but, but I don't want you to get mixed up with the situation that you're in. I don't want to get mixed up with the way that you're feeling and what you're seeing. I, I need you to know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. I need you to know that I have peace that they're not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I need you to know my promises. I need you to know my word. I don't, I, I don't want you to get mixed up by your current situation and what you're in now. I don't want you to get confused, and, and I don't want you to get distorted and, and discouraged and, and, and disheartened by the situation and, and by what you see and what you're feeling. I need you to know my word. I need you to realize that I'm still your God, that I'm still for you, not against you, that my covenant relationship is still for you, that I know the plans I have for you. I know the purpose I have for you. I know the intent that I have for you. I need you to know my word. And God's saying, I need you to, I need you to put your trust in me and believe in me. I need you to live on, live on a different plane a plane of faith and not by sight, to live by God's word that never changes, his truth that is always the same. I need you to find your hope and, your, and just your source for life in me. In preceding verses, in verses 5 to 7, Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7, it comes up on the screen there. I haven't done a very good job of pulling those verses over, have I? That's not the text fault. That's actually, I think, my fault with the PowerPoint. Anyway, I'll read it out. But it says, verse 5 to 7 says, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens. And this is what God's saying to his people in, in the exile in Babylon before this verse, verse 5 to 7. Build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. What's God saying? We go to the next slide there. God's saying that, God's saying that, I, I want you to live 
You know, he's saying that, I know that you're in exile and, and, and that there is a plan to return and, and many of them, many of that generation wouldn't see that plan unfold. It would be their children. It would be different ones. But what he's saying is, I know you're in exile. I, I, I know that you're in Babylon, but, but I want you to live. I, w- I want you to take every opportunity. I want you to live lives of trusting in me, of believing in me. I want you to build. I, I, I want you to plant. I, I want you to marry and be given a marriage. I want your sons and your daughters to be married and given a marriage. I want you to pray for the spiritual atmosphere and change the spiritual atmosphere of that place, of the Babylonian people. I want you to take authority of the spiritual atmosphere of that place. I want you to pray into it and see my kingdom come. And will be del- I, I want you to live. And, you know, in our situations, in our time, that sometimes we look at the promises of God and look at that, and that in-between phase, before we see the, the fruit of it, before we see maybe the results of the promises of God, before we actually see it, before we feel it, before we experience it, God wants us to live by faith and not by He wants us to, he wants us to live trusting in Him and believing. He wants us to live now. That's so prophetic that's so online with what Amber was sharing before about he wants us to say yes now. He wants us to believe. He wants us to live now. He wants us to trust in him now because he's doing an amazing work within us. He's doing an amazing work through us. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel, no matter what situation or circumstance that you're in, God wants you to live by faith now. He wants you to trust in him now. He wants you to live life to the full now. He wants you to live a full life. Take the most of every opportunity. Live for him. He wants you to live no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what your past has been like, no matter how you're feeling, what you see. He wants you to live because you can trust in him and you can believe in him. He wants you to live by faith. With the Babylonians, I think, you know, what a, what a witness it would be what a witness it would be to the Babylonians with the Israelite people doing that. They'd be like, what? Like, I thought these jokers, I, I, I thought they were down and out. Like, they've lost everything. Like, and after that verse, not many years later, actually Jerusalem was destroyed. Their homeland was destroyed. The Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar came and, and destroyed their homes, destroyed their temple. They lost everything. And I think the Babylonians would be like, you know, they've They've lost everything. You know, they're in captivity to us. They've, they're in a land they don't know, and they're under our rule. Where, where are they getting their hope from? You know, where are they getting their inspiration from to, to live? You know, where or whom is that coming from? And the answer is God. You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God that they put their faith and trust in. That's where our hope comes from. That's where life, hope, and, and purpose comes from. That's where, it, not from our situations, not from how we feel, not from what we see, but our life and our hope and our purpose and, 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 and our, our reason for living comes from God, comes from Him. He, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've got an internal hope, eternal, eternal strength, eternal grace. No matter what's going on, no matter, no matter where you find yourself or what's happened in your past, We, um, as a family, from time to time, we do, we do family devotions, Tracy, Hamish, and I. And, uh, and I was thinking, how do, how, do I, how, do I, how do I do this? Well, how do we do this in sort of a cr- creative and fun and maybe a little bit of a comical way? And so I decided to build a pulpit. And um, I'm not really a DIYer, or, although I like to maybe think I am. I'm a DIYer in practice. 
And so I built the base and built the stand and uh, built this thing here that you rest your Bible or iPad or notes on. And so we do this devotion. I, I feel quite nervous doing them, honestly, because I've got like Tracy and Hamish, they're sitting down on the couch or something, they're sort of looking at me like, this ready for me. And um, I'm like, you know, I'm like, hello, you know, and I'm like, testing, is this thing on? Three, two, not that we've got a sound system at home, but you know, it's just, it's a little bit, I just feel a bit, bit, bit awkward. And, and Tracy's past, she's a, she's a children's pastor, so I know she's, she probably will critique me afterwards, saying, you know, like, look, the content was good, but the delivery, are you serious? Like, where, like, where were your props, you know? Like, I just, I just, I'm feeling this. And, and so, um, but Hamish got up one time, and, and he, he did a devotion, and he did a devotion on, he got his, he, 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 he's, he's excited, and he, and he goes, I know what I'm doing wrong. And so Tracy and I were sitting there in anticipation, and he runs into his room, and he grabs his children's Bible, which is the illustrated one, which has got the summarized versions of different Bible stories. And so he's flicking through the pages, and, that, and he, he does this Bible story, I'm, I'm building a house on the rock, rather than building a house on the sand. And he's like, oh, hey, we've also got a song. I'm like, cool. And so I go to YouTube, and we're flicking through the uh, songs. Like, no, no, not that one. And uh, yeah, that one, that one. And I went, to, I went to play it, and he's like, whoa, whoa, hey, who's leading this thing? I didn't say that, but. <laughs> and um, yeah, and he's like, whoa. And then he, but he shared the devotion about building a house on the rock rather than building a house on the sand. In other words, if I can summarize, when we build our house, when we build our lives on the truth of the, of the word of God, when we, when we do the word of God, when we build our lives on Christ, you know, we are unshakable, we are immovable, you know, whatever storm comes, whatever winds come, whatever the elements are, whatever the variables are, we build our lives on the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who is fixed, the one who is the great I am, the one who we can put our lives and our trust in. I just get so excited about that. That look, it doesn't matter. Oh, hell can break over it. Um, oh, hell can break loose over our lives. Not very pleasant, but we can still stay firm and stand strong and firm in and, and Christ, the one who's conquered the powers of sin and death, who's conquered hell and Hades and taken the keys of Hades and hell and, is, and reigns victorious, reigns as the King of Kings, the soon returning King, the one that's Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we can put our, man, I'm excited. We can put our faith in, in Christ. We can put our faith in the one who's the same. He's fixed every other foundation, whether it be God or, or whether it be something else or it be a man, is, is not fixed, is not in that victorious place. It's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, the storms come, and the winds come, and we're moving off course. But Christ is our firm foundation. He is the rock of our salvation. Oh, man, we as a church, we've got so much hope. We've got so much faith. We can, oh, so good, eh? So good. Good devotion. Good devotion. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I had this devotion, and I'm just—I've got the seat prepared in advance, so I'm not actually walking away from my sermon. Um, no, I'm not really. But I've got this—I did this devotion, and I was feeling quite good about it because I'm like, I've got a prop. Tracy's going to be impressed, <laughs> and so I'm like coming confident. So I'm looking at Tracy like, "No, I love you," but. We've got, this, we've got this prop, and um, I'm like, Tracy Hamish, obviously I'm probably more directing it at Hamish, my son, who's seven if you don't know, but I'm like, how much faith do you think I'm putting in this chair to support me, to support my weight, and how much faith do you think I am? I go like this, 
And he's like, oh, yeah, not, not very much, Dad. Not very much. So I'm like, oh, what about now? He's like, yeah, a little bit more, but still, still not very much. And I go, what about now? And he's like, yeah, more, but still not very much. And I go, and I go what, about, what about now? And he goes, yeah. Now you're putting your full weight in the chair to support you. Now you're putting your full faith in the chair to support your weight. And I said, it's the same with God. It's the same with God. When we're in this place, oh, oh, man, we're immovable, we're unshakable, we're in this place. When we're resting in God, when we're trusting Him, when we're putting all our full weight and our lives in Him, oh, man, it's exciting. Nothing can move us. Nothing can shake us. We're victorious. We're unstoppable. And that's the transform. God does His transforming work in our lives when we're in this place. Nothing can defeat us. Nothing can hinder us. Nothing can restrict us. Nothing can limit us. And, and the thing I love about this place is that, and pretend I'm still in that place, but the thing I love about this place, sitting down and seating in Christ, is that actually we can feel the fear and go out anyway. We can feel insecure and go out anyway, still resting in the one and trusting in the one that says, do not fear, for I am with you. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I'll take your right hand. Fear not. I take your right hand. I am with you. Do not fear. We can rest and, and trust in the one, feeling, uh, feeling awkward, feeling insecure as, or whatever, trusting in the one who is secure, who, whose grace is sufficient, who's with us, who is our, our strength, who is our life, who is our purpose, who's all those things. And Oh, man, that's so exciting. It's so exciting. It's so exciting to live in that place. I, I um, for the last 13 or so years, um, I had, had a health, some health challenges and, and, and perhaps a lot of it from concussions, playing rugby and a, and a pretty bad accident I had and things and um, was in quite a, quite a bad way. And for some time, for maybe the course of a year or two, you know, most days I struggled at times to walk or talk properly and and, and, and things like that, but the, the tremendous fatigue and weakness and, and headaches and, and just the, the functioning of the, you know, just not feeling like your brain's functioning, that sort of thing. But what God taught me to do during that time, it's been like a training ground for me. You know, it's been like a training ground for me. It's like a thorn in the flesh to realize, the thorn in the flesh to realize that all God wants me to do is to do this and to rest in Him and to trust in him and realize that his grace is sufficient, realize that he is my strength, realize that he is in control, realize that he goes before me and prepares the way, goes before you and prepares the way. His grace is sufficient. And the challenges that we go through and the difficulties we go through and the testing that we go through, what happens is what God's saying is, I just want you to go deeper. I just want your roots to go deeper in faith. I want you to trust and, and, and rest in me and rest in me. I was speaking I was going to say, I had in my notes, I was speaking publicly some months ago, um, but the reality is I was, I, was, I was speaking at church some months ago. I was trying to say I wasn't speaking at church, and you'll find out why when I share the story. But I was speaking at church a number of months ago, and I kind of had in my heart what I was going to speak on. And I had, a, I, I had what I really wanted to get across and, and how I wanted to get across and what I believed God was going to do. And and I, I kind of went away a little bit disappointed. I went away a bit dejected. I didn't, just didn't feel like, it didn't feel to me like, um, it didn't feel to me like 
what I had in my heart, what I had in my spirit, spirit came across. Now, we know I really disappointed, and I went home, and I was looking after Hamish. Tracy was running growth track, and I said to Hamish, I said, Hamish, I said, you go into your room for a while, and, I'm um, sorry, you go and watch TV for a while. I'm just going to go into my room for a little bit. And I went away kind of with the intention to, to kind of pray and, and, and catch my thoughts and clear my thoughts and that sort of thing. But really, I went into my room, and I just sort of moped. I just lay on my bed and that, and I felt, <laughs> I felt, and I've only felt this maybe a handful of times, but I felt the chastisement of God uh, come upon me, him speak to me, and um, he said, Ryan, how you respond now is really critical, how you respond now is really important, and I was like, whoa, and then he said, you said you're going to take your son to the park, <laughs> and I go, yeah, I did actually, I did. And so I took my son to the park, I went to the park, still with the pit in my stomach, still feeling disappointed, still feeling insecure, maybe a bit guilty, those sorts of things, still having that, but going out in the one who says his grace is sufficient, going out in the one who says that he does a good work in us and he promises to, he promises to complete it, that he won't stop working until he completes that good work in us. Going out in the one who is for us and not against us and knowing that he does a good work in us. And, and I, had, I, had, uh, I had to go look after someone that day, I had a meeting that night. And, but I, I, I went, I, I, I'm just so encouraged by that, that even if you're feeling guilty from past mistakes and past things that you've done, you can still go out in the one who's forgiven you. Go out in the one who has healed and redeemed you and made you whole. And the awesome thing about that is, oh, I love it. It's, it. it's like a bit of a hack, life hack. Like you can go out still feeling guilty and still walking guilty, but trusting in the one who's already forgiven you, who's already healed you when you ask for forgiveness, when you repent and turn to him. That's all you need to do. The feelings might catch up. Hopefully they catch up sooner than later, but you can live by faith and, and not by sight. I had this picture, um, I had this picture of, and I, I suppose I imagined it, but um, I had this picture of God with his angels in heaven, and God was there, and I just sort of imagined, I didn't have a clear vision or anything, but I just imagined this picture, and God the Father's in heaven, and he's got his angels with him, and he's got Michael and, and, and Gabriel with him, and they're playing on the harp, and, and God says to Michael and Gabriel, he says, he says, look, um, just put down, your heart, put down your heart for a minute. Look, I appreciate it all, but just put down your heart for a minute and hush for a minute and, 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 and just come over here. Just, just come over here. Just come over here. And God says to, to the angels, he says, look, look at my son. Look at my daughter. Look at what they're going through. Look at their situation. Look at their past. Look at how they're feeling right now. Look at the difficulties that they're facing. Look at how they're still feeling fear or insecure. Look look at them. And then God says, but look at how they trust me. Look at how they put their faith in me. Look at how they believe in me. Look at them. Just look at them. Look at the way that they trust me. Look at the way that they put their faith in my word. Look at them. And he's so pleased. Jesus marveled at faith on earth. The centurion's faith, the centurion, I think it was his sick daughter, um, 
he basically said to Jesus, don't worry about coming under my house. Just, you just say the word. You just, at your word, let it be done. And Jesus was like, whoa, whoa. You see, this, this guy's for real. This guy's serious. You know, like he was blown away by the author and finisher. God can still marvel at our faith today. God is pleased with us when we, when we do this. When we rest in the one and trust in the one and depend on the one whose grace is sufficient and walk out, perhaps still feeling the fear, perhaps still the circumstances and the situation still there, but believing in the one whose grace is sufficient, who's with us and, and for us. I'll just get the team to come back. Um, play a worship song. Be good, not ACDC. No. Was that lame? I thought it was pretty funny when I practiced it. So, so just as we are coming to a close of this part of the service, um, I was just praying, you know, God, what, what, how, how do you want to finish this, you know? What kind of call or response do we need at the end? And I'm just thinking, in my mind, I'm just thinking, like we can use a, use a whole lot of fancy words, but really I just want people to encounter God. Like I want people to encounter the Holy Spirit to come and, and encounter Him and, and for God to touch people's lives. And I believe that'll happen uh, this morning. I believe God is going to touch people and, and touch people's lives. And, and in that, Here's what I believe. I believe that we need a Garden of Gethsemane moment before the Garden of Eden moment or a promised land moment or seeing the promises of God. The Garden of Gethsemane moment was when Jesus, before he went to trial, before he was arrested, before he was arrested and went to trial and subsequently crucified and died and, and, rose, and rose again. Before that, he was in a garden. And in that garden, he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But not my will. For your will be done. And he sweated blood. And I believe every day we need a Garden of Gethsemane moment. What does our Garden of Gethsemane moment look like? I believe it looks maybe something like this. God, I deny myself. I take up my cross, whatever is hindering you, whatever is an obstacle with you, whatever's a pain for you, whatever's in your way, I take up my cross and follow you. And no matter what, this day, today, today, in this moment, no matter what I feel, no matter what I see, no matter what my situation, no matter what my past, no matter what's being said about me, no matter what others say or do or think or feel or their motivations, intentions, judgments, attitudes are towards me, no matter what happens, no matter what I go through, I choose to trust in you. I choose to rest in you. I choose for my soul to come to that place of trusting and depending and putting my rest and weight on you. And in that, I choose for you to do whatever you want to do in and through me, wherever you want to lead me, wherever you want me to go. I choose to be used by you. I believe that is a garden of Gethsemane moment. I, I know that if we do that, if we do that, then we'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living, as David said in the Psalms. Then we'll see the promises of God come to fruition. We'll see the glory of God come upon this church and in your lives like never before. We'll see 
the fruition of God's promises come to life and His name be glorified and Him being magnified and a church that's a, that's a, that's a light, a city on top of the hill that shines yeah. in the glory of God and the fruit of God and, and, and the promise of God manifested because we've got a people that surrenders, a people that says no matter what, no matter what I feel, no matter what I see, no matter what I'm going through, I choose to trust in you. I choose to rest in you, just like sitting in a seat, just like completely resting in Him.